I am becoming a Christ follower still. Jesus is central. I'm still and always have been absolutely fascinated. And it still absolutely captures me, captivates me. It, it enthralls me, the life and message of Jesus Christ. That has been central to my life. I'm still trying to understand what that means. You are listening to the Christian Music Archive podcast, part of the New Release Today podcast network. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. Each week, I share stories about Christ, community, and music, chatting with musical guests who you will find listed on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. There are thousands of creative men and women who have helped shape the soundtrack of the Christian faith, and we get to hear their stories, learn about how Christ has made a difference in their life, and hopefully along the way, we'll learn how we can be a better part of our community. Welcome to episode 80 of the podcast. For the past year and a half or so, you've been exploring with me what it means to be part of a faith community. Some of our guests have talked about how being in a community was instrumental in shaping their lives. Other guests have discussed ways that they have established a community to help make a difference in the world around them. Today, I'm talking with Sarah Groves. Now, this is a woman who is constantly searching for ways to make her community better and a more vibrant place. What does it look like to struggle with tough situations? How does she use what God has put in her hands to impact the hurting people in her circle of influence? I've really appreciated Sarah's music for nearly 20 years, but today I discovered a deeply intelligent woman who is wrestling with how she can make a difference with the gifts God has given her. This is an amazing conversation, so let's just jump right in. Sarah Groves is my guest today, and if you've been following Christian music for any length of time, you'll recognize Sarah from some of her albums like Conversations, Invisible Empires, and Fireflies and Songs. Sarah has just released her 14th album called What Makes It Through, and I'm excited to talk about that. But in addition to her music stuff, she and her husband Troy founded the Art House North in St. Paul, Minnesota, and she's also been an advocate for the International Justice Mission for the past 15 years. And I would guess she would tell you that her most important role is probably mom to three kiddos. And so I'm excited to welcome Sarah Groves to the podcast. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate it. So I was doing a little bit of research because, uh, you know, we interviews are supposed to know what we're talking about. And I found that you actually went to school to study history. Yes, I was a history teacher right out of college. And as I'm thinking about this, I don't know very many history teachers who are now musicians. So let's talk about how that transition <laughs> took place. Yeah, history and English. I had a double major and I taught both history and English in 10th grade. And, oh, um, wow. But I was going to go into music, uh, teach music. And, um, and I ended up wanting to do um, English and history instead. I, I, the technical side of music theory was, has never come easy, easily to me. I'm a very much play by ear. I have some knowledge. I've you know, been in choir and can read some. But, yeah. So that was kind of a little bit prohibitive. And, and just in the process of figuring out, finding myself, I ended up in, in education. So my parents are both educators uh-huh. uh, now at the university level, but my mom was an elementary school principal. And um, our family uh, were big proponents of the public school. And mm-hmm. so I was glad to, 
I, I still think it's one of the most noble professions. I, I think it's extremely difficult work and increasingly so. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I taught 10th grade, U.S. history and English. That's a tough year to teach people, kids just trying to find out who they are as adults. And <laughs> I loved it. I really did. It took me a while to find, I think every teacher might, might say that I tried it. I tried elementary and it, it wasn't a connection. My sense of humor, everything was just sort of didn't fit. <laughs> I tried junior high and that was okay. But when I hit 10th grade, I felt like, um, I don't know, there's a real tenderness to those sophomores. They are in transition, but as a lot of kids are throughout all of school, but I really loved teaching. So how does that, how did that transition then go from teaching and now I'm going to do music full time? You released your first album 20 years ago in 2021, 21 years yeah. ago. Um, yeah. So how did that transition take place? You were doing music before, were you? Well, actually, my first record was in 97, my first independent album. So I was independent for three years before I signed with uh, with uh, INO at the time, which is now Fair Trade Services. Okay, yeah. And um, I, I was teaching and I was doing an FCA. Uh, a friend of mine ran FCA and I did a concert pizza party and I brought in some friends and I played you know, five songs that I'd written. Yeah. And I had students approach me and say, um, my, I would love to share that with my mom or I'd love to share it. To, I'd love to have that recorded. So my husband was really, he was at, um, he, he'd had a few different jobs in communications and he just, he and his dad, my father-in-law really had a vision. They're both very entrepreneurial mm. and they both said, you can do this. This is like what you play in that. So I had been right go, to go back even further, but yeah, I had been yeah, yeah. writing music since I was a little girl. And my mom okay. says I was four when I wrote my first song. So mm. that had been my catharsis, my mm. way of naming things in my life, my way of explaining you know, the contents yeah. of my heart, my, the intersection of my life and faith, everything had been, um, if you ask my family, like, that's what I did. I wrote music. And so I have, it's funny because I didn't see that as central to my, to my, um, identity. It was, and it wasn't, but no one made a big deal about it because yeah. it was just so kind of part of the cloth of Who you my were. life. Yeah. 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 So I would play in the you know, I had a piano. I bought a piano before I bought a car. <laughs> okay. And um, so I had a piano and I um, I would, uh, you know, write music. So, and even in college, I was in the, you know, even though I wasn't in the music department, I was in the practice rooms and that was my release valve. That was definitely my stress reliever. So my husband really was the, the activator and he has been in this story all along. I definitely wouldn't be here now or I wouldn't have started any of it without his um, that kind of activism, act, yeah. activating sense. Yeah. And uh, so I made a record, an independent record in 97, and then went back to teach 97, 98 okay. uh, school year. And I was had finished that project. It was for friends and family. I was very sheepish about it. I felt <laughs> almost embarrassed <laughs> Uh-oh. by it. Yeah. When my husband ordered a thousand copies, I just, I was, I was angry. I felt embarrassed Uh-oh. that we're yeah. going to have these in the basement forever. And so it was a little bit, you know, for me, I think my husband's experience was like giving a cat a bath. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So those thousand albums, how long did it take you to make it through those? And and obviously your husband was right because you've gone on to do other things. Yeah, I'm, I'm still doing it, still making music, which I can't believe, but um, yeah, we, we went, they went, they sold quickly and we had every opportunity opened up more opportunity. Sure. We had a label interest that very first year, 97, we had okay. a, a label 
guy that worked for a label at one of our first concerts up in the Twin Cities and flew us out. We went to Nashville. We flew out to Oregon. We were talking to several different places and we got one, we got this, an offer. And, um, my husband again, just said, I think we can do this. I think Mm. I can do this. And so he jumped into the role of manager and, um, and we hit the road as independent artists. We had other people, we were looking to other bands, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Waterdeep and other bands oh, that sure. we knew that were yeah. making music like that. And so uh, we'd had a little bit of exposure to people in that world and, um, yeah, went out and then signed with with INO. Um, in 2000, Jeff started INO. Right. I was his first artist. Oh, I didn't and know And a week later, he signed Mercy Me. So, okay. Uh, we were his first two signs, yeah. So he has a pretty good knack for talent. yes so what was that first album called because i try to document all the albums that i know of about artists and i didn't have your 97 album past the wishing and then it was re-released um as my independent record i think after conversation so it might it might be out on the you know the things that like record that stuff in 2001 maybe but yeah we released it in 97 i recorded conversations in 98 okay and then we added the word in painting pictures of egypt to it and re-released it when i signed with the label gotcha gotcha well you mentioned uh in passing that your songwriting was kind of a catharsis of dealing with life and your faith and all of that i am a huge fan of people telling their faith journey because Mm -hmm. i think it's encouraging to all of us to see how you know all of our lives may be different, but they're all kind of directed by the Lord to this this moment where you have this relationship with Jesus. So mm-hmm. what was your faith journey like? Were you, was your family educators, but was it a Christian home? Mm-hmm. How did that process work? Yeah. So I am a cradle Christian. My, um, my dad is a professor at a, a Christian liberal arts college okay. and is a theology teacher. And, um, and he's just a really neat guy. He's a little kind of C.S. Lewis-y. That oh, would fun. be his... Um, he, he loves to think about worldview and um, and has a beautiful, uh, he, he brings his creativity to bear on his telling of the story. And so he was always tying my life to a bigger narrative uh-huh. uh, that was happening at the kitchen table and in our home all yeah. the time. So, but we were really encouraged to ask questions and uh, we had a lot of conversation, a lot of um, analysis and things going. We were <laughs> very much... Um, discerning thinkers, I guess. And, um, so, but I, I, so I invited Jesus into my heart when I was four, but then I have these sort of epics of, of, I don't like the word faith crisis because that doesn't, the word crisis feels very negative, even the word deconstruction, but that's what I was doing. But I had late, late, you know, late teens, um, does God exist? And that was a, a wrestle with its, that came with its pains and its then what I felt resolutions late twenties, um, was, is he good? Mm. And that came with, you know, loss of friends, losing children and different, just really the job questions. And then I'd say in my late thirties, it was what the heck are we doing (laughs) as the church? And so, so each of those stretches, when you say, when did you become a Christ follower? I am becoming a Christ follower still. Yes. And, um, but Jesus is central. I'm still, and always have been very, just absolutely fascinated. I think, you know, every single man has said in his heart, if I were God, if I were in charge of this thing, Mm. this is how I Mm -hmm. would do it. And then the one that could come and sort of like, 
land on the earth like Thor and do the thing. <laughs> yeah. Does this does something so other, yeah. so completely other, and it still absolutely captures me, captivates me, it it enthralls me, the life and message of Jesus Christ, and so yeah, that has been central to my life. I'm still trying to understand what that means. I think we all are, aren't we? I mean, yeah, I think I hope so. I think that's part of the journey of being a Christ follower is that the best description I've heard is as like God is a diamond, and there's so many facets. Yeah, and. Do the evangelicals have it right? Do the Catholics have it right? Do the Jews have it right? Does somebody else have it right? Well, I, I think the answer to that might very well be yes, we all do, <laughs> but we're looking at one facet of it. I just yeah. watched an interview with Dallas Jenkins and the, the people who are advising him with the Chosen Project. And he has a Catholic priest, a Jewish rabbi, and an evangelical mm-hmm. professor. And they were talking about how there's so much rich traditions in all of these different belief traditions that we miss when we say this is the way it's got to be done. Yeah. And and I think what you're describing is, oh, here's another facet. Oh, here's another way that God is good. Yes. I mean, the claims we make on a regular basis are massive, and we make mm-hmm. a lot of them sometimes very flippantly, a whole slew of things we're, we're laying claim to. And I think if I were to just go back back up and say I was made, that's mm. a massive statement. That's yeah. a massive world-shaping statement. I could try to unpack that the rest of my life and <laughs> never come to the end of it. And then you add to that, I think my maker is is with me, is in it with mm-hmm. me. And that's a whole other concept that I could spend, you know, it, it would be a life well-lived to just dwell on those two things, yeah. you know, and then we add to it a bunch of other baggage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so that's, that's my faith journey in a nutshell. <laughs> well, and, and I like the, the way you say, but it's, it's a journey and we're still going through it. And, yeah, definitely. Well, it, it didn't get lost on me that you said in your thirties, you were talking about, okay, now what do we do with it? And about that time you started the art house in the Art House North, I want to clarify that. And you also mm-hmm. uh, got involved with IJM. We're going to talk about both of those, but were those both kind of born out of your wrestling with, okay, what do I do with it? This is something that I can do? Yeah. And when I say, what can I do with it? I really was looking at what is the church? What is the body of Christ doing? What are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Full stop, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, how did we get here from from the story that's told even in the chosen how did how do we then get end up here where we're, yeah. we're we're doing what we're doing now um so yeah the IJM definitely was it was not the answer to my second my second round was is god good right and right. that was experiencing you know family member loss of a family member and friends losing children just some of the really harder parts of yeah. of life and and um why do bad things happen to good people and the yeah. the basic job questions and it was the work of IJM when i looked up and saw i i said i've been tuning and tuning and tuning a car in the in the driveway you know i was like spring windex on the windshield and <laughs> uh and i looked up and i saw these believers who were doing donuts in the parking lot and just like top mm. down you know yeah. <laughs> tearing around and it completely unlocked something in me and changed the way I saw gospel, the way I saw the message from the, you know, from Genesis, the whole thing, you know, Gary does a talk called the unfamiliar passions of God. When my eyes were open to God's heart for justice, that just this narrative that every single prophet 
confronted the leaders of his day, every Uh single one of them to say, the people you have been tasked to protect, you are exploiting, you know, the people that when, when I saw this narrative through all of scripture and even the, the Exodus story, um, it just changed me. And, and so that was a part of that. And then the, what are we doing as the church definitely coming out of that, um, uh, Art House North was was definitely born out of that. And the shapers there, I, I was really informed by Charlie Peacock, who founded sure. the Art House in Nashville. Yeah. Um, and Makoto Fujimura, who is a, a painter, he writes a lot about culture care. He says, culture is a is a, not a war to be won, but is a garden to be cultivated. Say that again. I love that. Yeah. Culture is not a war to be won, but is a garden to be cultivated. And uh, he talks a lot about the generative life and um, he's written extensively about it and I can't really always condense it quickly, but everything we're doing at the art house is our attempt to be generative. And it's easy to, as Charlie said to me once, it's easy to stand around a bomb crater and talk about how deep it is, how wide it is, its dimensions, whose fault it is. It's a harder to crawl down into it, like maybe the cellist of Sarajevo, or, mm-hmm. or you know, we have an yeah. image like that, a metaphor, but actually a real life occurrence. Yeah, yeah. Where he, in response to this extreme darkness and evil, in his right outside the window of his apartment, he puts on his full tux and he takes his cello and he crawls into that crater and he plays a song. He puts something into the world, yeah. even in amidst violence, even at, at great risk of his own life. And it draws people. It makes mm. people say, well, what are you doing there? You, it looks like you're making something in the middle of destruction and tearing everything down. It looks like you're making something. What are you making? And I really believe in the power of that. When I see something I don't like and I'm angry and I'm feeling something, all right, what am I going to make? What what am I going to crawl into that crater and play? Or And it may be, for me as a songwriter, it might be songs, but yeah. Art House ends up being a community art center to do that even on a broader scale with theater and all kinds of things. So, Well, help us carry that thought a little bit farther. Now, for, for those who may not be familiar, Charlie Peacock, one of the greats in, in music period, let alone Christian music. Yes. Um, he and his wife, Andy, started a uh, it was a church, wasn't it? Uh, an old church in Nashville that they yeah. actually moved into and started opening their doors to let people come in to share this description of what you're talking about. How do we bring art into life? So it, I'm assuming that's where you got the idea for Art House North. Yeah. Um, and then what was it that caused you and Troy to say, oh, we can do that up in St. Yeah. Paul, up in the Tri-Cities? I had done um, the record Other Side of Something with Charlie, and he asked for a redo. Um, When (laughs) I came to him for that record, I was still trying to make something of myself in CCM, you know? Mm -hmm. And so he had his, he knew his assignment. (laughs) And his daughter was a listener and a fan of my music. And Mm. I don't like the word fan, but a listener of my music. And so she approached her dad and said, Dad, what'd you do? You know, Molly, um, that, that's how he told me the conversation, okay. something like that. But yeah. basically, um, he, so he jokingly, he said, um, I, if we do another record, I, I have a, some feelings about it. I'm going to do, and that was Fireflies and Songs when we worked okay. on Fireflies and Songs, which is a lot closer to my life as a songwriter gotcha, and not my life as some kind of like pop artist, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so, um, and I think what Charlie did, and I really love both of those albums, but, um, 
I think Fireflies and Songs, it's a girl and her piano. And it's really, um, to me, my songwriting, really starting with Add to the Beauty. Um, Charlie was the one who told me, you're a mom in a pop store, mom and pop store. You're not a Walmart. Mm. And if you do... If you go the Walmart route, you're going to lose everybody. You're going to lose the people that are really paying attention to what you're doing. Interesting. And yeah. That was also a metaphor that shaped me. I, I felt like he was absolutely right. And I could go to my label president and say, I'm a mom and pop store. And at that time, we were just starting to talk about tribes and all this, you know, different things. Mm-hmm. And and that made sense to him. Yeah. Okay, I see. I see what you're doing. And by that point, I wasn't really being played on radio. I was like, I'm going to go be an artist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and so really starting with Add to the Beauty, I feel like I found my voice, I think, there. So how did that then parlay into you and Troy running into this church that you found oh, at yeah. home? And what if, I mean, I know teachers and I know most artist musicians aren't normally made of a lot of money. So this would be a very daunting task. Talk about that start. Yeah. Well, at this point, we had a mini kingdom. We had a suburban mini kingdom, you know, um, and we traded that for the art house and a tiny house on the same block. So it was 700 square foot when we bought it. We had to add another bedroom so, because we have Ruby and the boys, so the mm-hmm. boys were sharing, um, and I think we ended up around nine hundred square feet. But we went from like a large home uh-huh. <laughs> to this uh, this small home. Big, but our vision was we wanted to be in the city. We wanted to be in St. Paul, and um, and we wanted to. What Charlie had done, what they did, is they just lived their lives and invited people to jump into the river. Like I'm going down this river. I'm going to let anyone that wants to look in on it yeah. come alongside me. And that okay. was their generosity. They weren't doing a lot of programming mm. and, you know, they weren't heavily, heavily programmed at Art House. Okay. They were just inviting people into what they were already doing. And so we thought, where can we invite people in? These are the conversations we already want to have. Yeah. And these are the things we want to talk about. And how do we just invite more people into that? And it really was what we had experienced out on the road. We were hearing from Andy Crouch, all these really neat thinkers, um, heart and mind, you know, Sky Jathani. We love all these. They're, you know, they were just like um, the missional church. We were being exposed to that, Michael Frost. And so we just, where can we talk about this stuff with our community? Yeah. And that was, so we saw this church in uh, 2011 and started the process. It, it was boarded up, windows were, you know, shuttered and it needed a lot of TLC. So <laughs> it wasn't exactly top dollar, but it was the, the sum of our the house we had lived in, right. bought the church in this little place. So, so you, you've, you've opened your home and the church now for people to come and share the creativity of what they see. Now, I'm assuming that not all of these people are creators, that a lot of them are coming to learn how to create. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, there are different aspects to what we're doing. And Charlie always says there's not a good elevator speech. But our <laughs> our shared motto, our shared uh, tag would be creative community for the common good. And okay. so we believe that when you set the table, have conversations about art, experience art, theater, concerts, um, uh, when you have a square dance in the street when you, you know, block off the street and have a dinner with your neighborhood. When you create opportunities for people to engage with the arts, there is human flourishing, period. It contributes to human flourishing. So creative community for the common good is this 
this place that ebbs and flows. So we have our own art house activities that we do. I do a songwriter conference every year. We have songwriter groups. Art House Dallas is now merged with us to offer oh. their um, visual art response groups and writing groups um, and the, the virtual on the virtual front. And then we have in historically, we had like a school of rock after school kids program. Um, we've tried different, different things, sure. but then we partner with people who come with their own batteries, their own vision. Uh, we partner with a theater company that does three shows a year. Uh, we have a church that meets in, in the building on the weekends and they do a lot of creative, they're very art focused. Um, and so, yeah, we have our partners, neighborhood community partnerships, and then we have things that Troy and I are doing that have, um, that have ongoing presence here in the community. Thank you for listening to the podcast each week. I've been a longtime fan and supporter of the men and women who write the music that encourages and challenges my faith. I hope you find these conversations as engaging as I do. But I can't do this each week without your support. There are costs each month to cover hosting, programming, and production. And I would be honored if you could see your way to helping cover some of those costs. So I've partnered with Patreon to make it possible for you to help out. And for as little as $3 each month, you can help make sure these conversations keep happening. As an added incentive, the first 20% of all donations goes directly to help Mercy Inc. Won't you consider heading over to patreon.com slash ccmexchange and sending a little love our way? In exchange for your contributions, you can hear the podcast a week early and submit questions to ask our guests. It would sure mean a lot to me if you would go to patreon.com slash ccmexchange and support the work that I'm doing. That's patreon.com slash ccmexchange. Thanks for caring. Well, I've talked, uh, I, one of the reasons I started this podcast was I was re recognizing that we as a society are really struggling with community. And, yes. and as I've talked with a number of different people, uh, they all come back to the same kind of root of it. And that's rubbing shoulders with one another, breaking bread mm -hmm. together, doing something creative together. And, mm -hmm. and so what you're doing to me is that very physical, practical way of saying, let's put our phones down, quit looking at social media and let's just rub shoulders and be real together. And that's where those relationships start, which help through some of these things of, you know, racial tension and and forgiveness and some of these other things that we're going to talk about a little bit more on your on your album. But yeah, as you look back, and this is I'm probably an unfair question to ask, but as you look back, is there a highlight of something that has happened at the art house that you said, yes, this encapsulates exactly yeah. what I hope happens not only there at the art house ongoing, but in society. Yeah. Yes. Um, we started a, a series called Artists Respond after Sandy Hook. So I was mm. I, in that community when that took place. Okay. I was doing music out in Connecticut and was um, being taken to the airport. And we were hearing on the radio and the driver said, this is this is happening less than five miles from where we are right now. We were in on the highway. For young listeners who don't know what Sandy Hook is, just give us a two-second synopsis. Yeah, a school shooting where an entire classroom of, I think, were they five years old or six? I can't remember if it was first or, or kindergarten. I had a kindergartner at the time, so I was 
flying home. I'd gone out to do this event in, um, so I, when I got on the plane, they were reporting, you know, one, we know for sure can confirm one child has died. And I thought, what a nightmare uh, yeah. to, to hear this and not know if it's your child. And then when I landed, and at this point, we didn't have news on the plane. Um, when I landed, there were 19 confirmed at that point, And then yeah. it went on from there. So I went right to pick my daughter up from school. And I was just rocked to my core at yeah. this I have long been uh, an advocate for, you know, uh, uh, waging peace and um, and have strong feelings about, you know, uh, those things personally. But just it had hit me in such a visceral way. Um, yeah. And I just I, I wanted to respond in some way. So I, I went to church and our church at the time did not know how to engage with things that were actually happening in the community. They just mm. didn't talk about it. We just would do our sort of spiritual work yeah. and not acknowledge, you know, this is really hard. These things are going on. So I told Trey, I said, I, I um, called five artists. I called a cellist, a friend of mine who's in theater, uh, a poet who teaches at the university, um, a uh, songwriter and a dancer friend of mine. And I asked all of them to respond to this event and I didn't tell them what to do. I didn't say, you know, you need to make sure you reflect hopefulness or I didn't right. say any of that. Yeah. And we had the most powerful night you can just imagine. The wow. The cellist ended up playing the song of the cellist of Sarajevo and the poet wrote a poem about the cellist of Sarajevo unbeknownst to each other. Yeah. Our friend in theater was in that at that moment doing I Am Anne Frank, a solo one-woman show. So she did an excerpt from I Am Anne Frank. The songwriter is just a very like neat, neat guy that he, he does a lot of like engagement in our communities around um, education. And I don't know how to describe him, but he's a powerhouse. So he wrote this very, very meaningful song. And then the dance, my friend Kelly was at the Pantages Theater doing in a show. So she brought people from the community that were dancing oh. in the show to do a, a dance she created to walk with me, Lord. And it was one of the most powerful nights I've ever experienced. And it was it was deeply lament, full of lament. Mm -hmm. But wouldn't you know that we also had a sense of solidarity and hope there was yeah. that was happening. But we needed a place to put our absolute bewilderment, I think, yeah. and our um, our sense of loss of innocence, you know, that that um, that that could happen. Uh, and so and it wasn't, I guess, you know, my journey over the last handful of years is to kind of wake up to the fact that, oh, we're all in polities. You know, a polity is just a group of people and mm -hmm. politics is how they organize themselves. So your church is a polity and your family mm, is a yeah. polity and your neighborhood is, you know, and we're all, we are making decisions. So it's impossible to not be political in the sense that every, when you take your trash to the curb, you're being political. When you <laughs> decide to shovel yeah. your walk or not, you're yeah. being political. I, I can understand maybe saying I'm going to attempt to not be partisan. I think that would be a different, but this night was not, it, it transcended uh, the, the, the more partisan discussions we were having. And yeah. it felt, it felt very, um, it was just so necessary. And then we went on to do that artist respond around creation care and racial reconciliation. And it became, it's become a fixture of our art house um, cool. to have these conversations instead of a talking heads or panel to have artists just 
will you write about this? Will you respond to this? And it's so it's such an invitation. There's no finger wagging. There's no, it, it's just, a, can we lament what we've lost and what we've yeah. learned and tell the truth about where we are? And reflect on that as people of faith in what that might, what that means to us, where we see the God that is with us, the maker that is in it, uh, what he might say to us, you know, here. So I have the benefit of video. We've got a video chat going. Listeners aren't going to see that, but to see the emotion and the passion as you share this (laughs) is just, it's very refreshing. I mean, it's obviously, it's a core of who you are. And I would imagine that that is also part of what drives you to be involved with IJM, International Justice Mission. Um, yes. Talk a little bit. First, tell us what IJM is, and then talk a little bit about what your involvement is. Um, so IJM, International Justice Mission, is a group of lawyers, law enforcement officials, um, aftercare specialists, counselors um, uh, that basically bring the law to bear on behalf of the poor. So everywhere someone is too poor to be protected or thought of as deserving of protection, they are there. And so people tend to understand or know or have heard about them through human trafficking and that issue, but they also are addressing land grabbing um, in, you know, countries where a widow is often not seen as, you know, she's just driven off of her land and that's a death sentence. Um, Children in in, uh, Ghana that are are lured or or kidnapped into the fishing industry um, on Lake Volta. So it, it has different different people face different things. In Guatemala, there's really rampant um, sexual assault on children without uh, it, without any. Um, it's seen as a family problem, even mm. if it happened by someone that wasn't your family. It's seen as a family issue. So this is one of my favorite stats from the last few years. Is few years ago, 90% of the cases brought to the, the Guatemalan Supreme Court were IJM lawyers defending children against sexual assault. Wow. And so they are they set precedent. They don't just rescue. They also work in uh, strengthening rule of law and work in strengthening judicial systems. So they say they rescue thousands to protect millions, and they have done that. Uh, when I first learned about their work... Um, Gary Haugen, I think he was even quoting Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but he says in this chapter in um, The Good News About Injustice, and this was in my late 20s when I was asking these questions of if God was good. And he said, um, I, he said, my plea has changed over the last several years. Now, he was the chief investigator. He worked for the Department of Justice as a young man. Okay. And he investigated police brutality here in the United States and went on loan to investigate the Rwandan genocide with the UN. Uh-huh. And because he had experience in South Africa, exhuming mass graves and documenting some of those atrocities, he was named the head investigator of the Rwandan genocide wow. for the UN. So you can imagine what he's experienced. Yeah. And it was out of that work that he had the idea. God, I think, gave him a download. We've been clothing and, and doing these programs of feeding and partnering, but we can participate in protecting the poor from violence. And um, so he had this, he said, my plea has changed. I no longer ask, where is God? But I've begun to ask, where are God's people? Hmm. And I had a physical reaction to that. I dropped the book and I went to Troy and I said, we have been told that we're only good for writing checks and doing this certain set of things. 
And it takes practice. It takes practice to engage with, because it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Engaging with justice issues is uncomfortable. And we have to start looking around in our immediate neighborhood, but also then can we participate in this? And now my husband works for IJM. He's been there oh. seven years. So he's an artist partners. He works with bands and, um, and artists. Um, and uh, was just on the road with Andrew Peterson and the Behold the oh, Lamb tour. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. So our whole life has been, I, when I learned about IJM, my heart was ringing like a bell. And I just said, I, I met a young woman who had been trafficked and her, she gave her testimony and I, it was just life changing for me. Um, I walked out of there saying, okay, what do I have in my hand? You know, yeah. and tell me what you know was a record I did with Brown Bannister. Mm-hmm. That was a full on I went full pop. I wanted to go right down the middle of evangelical, you know, life and yeah. say, this is not a partisan issue. This isn't, this is the heart of God. This is where we'll find him. We're being invited into the soft part of God's heart. Mm. And we, I was just begging God, don't take my money and leave me behind. I want to be participating in in what I see Jesus inviting me into. So yeah, that was another a pivotal moment for me. That was 2005. And then we, I would say the art house is another physical manifestation or, you know, an embodiment of that same missional heart, you know, yeah. of wanting to be, um, wanting to show up. I, I want to have receipts. I don't want to be talking about stuff that I'm not doing. Mm, yeah. And as an artist, you can get easily pulled into where you're doing a lot more talking than you are living. And I just always want to make sure that I have the receipts for uh, what I'm talking about. Yeah, I love I love that phrase. As I've, I've talked with David Zock of Remedy Drive, I don't know if you're familiar with the work he's yeah. doing, and and I've partnered with Mercy Inc. They're another organization like International Justice does all kinds of things all over. It can be overwhelming when you look at these big problems. And think I don't have anything. A check is easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I'm always referred back to Keith Green's statement. Um, how about me not sending my money this time? How about me going? Mm-hmm. What is it that in your heart, as you talk about being involved in these things, how how can you encourage people to, with what you have, whatever great or little it is, to make a difference in some of these situations? Yeah. Well, I think that, I mean, money, money does always come into play and I also write checks, so I didn't stop writing checks, but I, um, and I want, again, to have my money go where my heart is and, and be a part participating that way. For me, it was such a, it was such a positive invitation. So I was really discouraged when I, then when I wrote telling me what, you know, that was like, you know, uh, when the saints, um, you know, the song, the songs on that record are invitation. Like when that number goes marching in, I want to be in that number, you know? And, um, I, so it was like, it it was also, there were songs of empathy and morality, you know, songs of, about like the storytelling aspects of it. But I was frustrated because I ran into safe for the whole family. And, uh, in the dyna- that dynamic, yeah. which was what our you know the ethos of of uh, CCM at that point. But I always said at every concert, I would have you know a good percentage of people go home and say, "Oh, that's compelling! Wow, that's really interesting!" Or that's compelling. But 
there was always a remnant at every show <laughs> that's like after the show. And I can see in their eyes, like, you're not going to sleep for three months. I mean, that's what I did. Mm-hmm. You are, your heart is going to ring like a bell. And what was funny with my interaction with IJM is I kept going to them asking, what can I do? And they would send me away every single time. I don't know. What can you do? So they constantly put that that ownership back on me. Yeah. And I'm really grateful for that because it was part, it was spiritual formation for me to then look around to my community and say, oh, these, you know, versions of this same thing are are here of, of these types of inequalities and, and abuses are taking place here. And not just the trafficking piece, but even like, you know, the things that, that trap people where they are, they're, they're stuck in systems of oppression. So uh, yeah, so I've engaged, I've tried to, you know, really think about it and and be here. I'm part of a multi-faith uh, group here called Isaiah that is, um, you know, part kind of a part of the Poor People's Campaign and um, in seeing, you know, just basic things like uh, a living wage, you know, we're mm-hmm. still at $7 something at our, yeah. for our hourly here. So there are practical things that I engage with. And then there are, you know, things within the church community that, that I'm, conversations I'm always going to be a part of. And then events we have at the art house. So I I really have to say, I've learned the tremendous power of advocacy. And I think you kind of see that as like, well, then you can do that a little bit more than just like reposting is fine. But I would say more relational advocacy, one-on-one with people. Yes. Um, so some people might, I can trap people at a party, man, and I jam them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm real fun at parties, Dave. (laughs) You're welcome at my party anytime you want. Well, I appreciate I appreciate your statement that IJM told you, and um, David Zock has done the same thing. He says, I don't know, what can you do? And I really am a firm believer that is, if God breaks your heart for something, mm-hmm. he's going to give you an answer of how you can put that into action. Yeah. And you may be a, a restricted by geography or financially or whatever, but anything that God places on your heart, he's going to give you an opportunity to use. And I yeah. love that sentiment that you've shared with us is that, what, well, I don't know, what, what can you do? Well, and then with that comes a whole learning curve. I think it's Reinhold Niebler who talks about when charity is linked, we want to keep in the zone of charity because that keeps us like in the place of power and then look at the good thing I'm doing. We don't want to actually do the work of justice or of, you know, of unearthing these things because then we wouldn't be coming in that sort of that powerful position. And so, man, there's a learning curve that am I, I'm, there are so many opportunities for repentance. Let me tell you that (laughs) when you engage with this work, and I find the same around racial reconciliation for all the work we've done here in the Twin Cities since 2020 and, and George Floyd here. Um, the, the main, you know, revelation is not, I I always, I thought I was already a a person of justice. I was engaged in these conversations, Mm -hmm. but man was a veil lifted. And I found myself I've got work to do myself. My community has, my people have work to do. And so I've been looking back at some of the stories I held up as, you know, cast in stone about my, my ancestors and where, you know what I mean? What I have to look at my own thing. And again, God's inviting us to the soft part of his heart, the stuff he cares about. Yeah, He's calling, you know, uh, so 
there's so many opportunities for repentance and growth when you enter into these conversations and it's, man, it's good for you. It is good for you. And it, it breaks your heart open and it helps, you know, Jesus, and it helps, you know, your fellow human. It helps you live in compassion and empathy. And it's, it's a game changer and it's really good for you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this all parlays, I think, into my last kind of series of questions, uh, getting back to the music thing, because you've just released your 14th album. Uh, a little bit of a different slant on this one in that you're now in the producer's chair, too. Yeah. And the album has a lot of great songs about everything we've been talking about. I mean, it could be the soundtrack to this episode. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and, and this is another one of those questions you're not supposed to ask is, uh, you know, what's your favorite song on the album? So I don't do that. But if you were to pick a song off of your album that represents kind of the, maybe it's the, the capstone of the, of the project, what would that song be? And talk a little bit about that. I don't know that this is the one that will catch everyone's attention as quickly, but I would say Rendezvous is the heart of the album. Forgiveness is a tour of duty, is a hall of mirrors, is a haunted house. I held it till it burrowed through me, till it hit the bone, how to let it Thank you. 
the song Rendezvous is really about, it's about forgiveness, the, the, the depth of, um, the, this is not easy work. It's so easy to say, uh, hole up and to, you know, kind of stay enclosed and encased in the warmness there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's about, you know, that song is really multidimensional. Mm-hmm. Um, that one's really deeply personal, just human to human, or, or even like thinking about re- deeply relational. Um, but I, it references two books in the bridge, if I can. Sure. Uh, Albert Borgman, who wrote a lot about, really presciently about technology, he was a, sort of a philosopher and was writing about technology. He was a friend of Eugene Peterson's. Okay. And, uh, but he wrote about focal practice and how technology takes out of our hands. Um, so washing the dishes is a focal practice. Mm. Or if you were to knit something, that's focal practice. Reading a real book, taking a walk yeah. uh, versus riding in the car, putting, you know, using the machines. Yeah. Um, and that focal practice is like it helps us, helps our brains. It helps us, you know, feel grounded in the world. And it's it's a good thing to, to remember um, to do. But he talks about for every good thing, there is a threshold of effort. And um I think that we always have the the thing that's um, easy and then the thing that's sort of right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think the right things almost always have a threshold of effort, you know, and I'm always telling my boys this, like, to get off their devices, like, going for a walk requires putting on your coat and shoes and you literally cross the threshold. Yeah. But our talking to each other in ways that are respectful, our seeing each other, trying to empathize, trying to um, be in community will take it. There's a threshold of effort. And that's, I want to do the work to cross that threshold of effort. And every good thing has a threshold of effort. And then um, uh, Martin Schleski in his book, The The Unspeakable Beauty of Life. Is that right? I'm not saying that right. Uh, Martin Schleski, but he's a violin maker, a luthier. And he says that God at creation, he is fully contained God, you know, in community, in perfect community. And he says, I will not be everything for myself. And he makes something that's not, that's not God. Ah, <laughs> everything that had been, yeah. had been him, you know, or yeah. had been them together. And he says, I will not be. And then he he passes that on in our Imago Dei. Mm-hmm. We are to follow him in that, to say, I will not be everything for myself. And we are very highly individualistic. We're highly, like, even in our pods when, with our phones, it's all so privatized. It takes so much energy to break out, to break the seal of that warm interior, yeah. set out across a field of landmine and cold to say, I won't be everything for myself. For every good thing, there's a threshold. For every yeah. good thing, there's a threshold. Um, so that song is my my declaration of I'm not going to stop trying to reach you, and I'm not going to stop both going out and letting you in. You know, I'm going to come out myself, be keep showing up, and I'm going to keep opening up and letting you in. And uh, so that, I would say that is the heart of the record. And that would that would cover everything we're doing right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like the turn of the phrase that you have in it. And I and I, I had three songs that I was prepared to talk about. And this was one of them. But was that even now, a new beginning. And that even it's that, that recognition that, you know, maybe I haven't done it right up to this point. Maybe I've had good intentions, but, you know, whatever. Even now, I can start fresh and start working towards these these things. Yes, yes. Yeah. And it's the prayer of my heart that that 
the church in the larger sense, you know, as an artist, I spent, I've been 23 years on the road, a fly on the wall. I've seen, I I go to every church you can imagine. Mm -hmm. I go to large churches. I've been Catholic churches, ecumenically broad. I've had all these experiences. And in, you know, 2015, as my heart, as I was starting to learn about mass incarceration, go deeper with um, redlining and some of these systems that we've had in place here um, in the U.S. And I thought, man, when when certain leaders get a hold of this information, we are going to see such a repentance, a move of repentance. I was listening to John Perkins and I was like, mm, wow, yeah. we've got these leaders that are just unbelievable. And when when the church then did something so opposite to that, when we had a doubling down and a not a softening of our hearts, yeah. you know, um, that was devastating to me. I, it took me a minute to gather myself. I actually kind of had to disengage with, with life <laughs> for a minute. Um, but this record is my attempt to reflect on all of it in my way. I'm not an agitator. I don't love confrontation, but I have deep convictions and I, I feel like my, my voice is maybe more maternal, like let us reason together. Um, mm-hmm. and to ask questions, I, questions work on me for a long time. And if, yeah. If I can be a part of that, planting a question in your heart that maybe works on you, um, that would be a, that would be good. <laughs> Every Saturday, I send out a newsletter to a bunch of folks who have agreed to pray for the the musicians and the artists who are responsible for the soundtrack of our of our faith. How can we specifically be praying for you in the month of February and even the weeks beyond that? Thank you, Dave. I appreciate that, that, that goes out. Um, I think for us, um, we are getting ready to really celebrate our 10 year anniversary of Art House North. And so all of this that I've shared in the last hour, um, we're really praying for a new vision for ourselves at Art House or just the, the next where are we headed and what does that look like? And so we'll be gathering together in January and then we're bringing Charlie and Andy and all the art house players into town just to sort of remember what we're doing and who we are and and our mission. So I'd love it if people would pray for for us that we would have clarity about that. And and again, that the the heart of this, um, the Jesus life, you know, would be core to what we're doing and I still, like I said at the beginning, find such a compelling, uh, I want to follow that, you know, where that takes us. And so, um, yeah, pray that that happens. Wasn't that a rich conversation? Thank you, Sarah, for sharing your journey with us today. Now, normally in my closing thoughts, I try to point out one or two key elements that really resonated with me, ideas or practices that I want to try in my own life. But I've had a hard time focusing on just one thought because there's just so much good stuff here. In fact, you may want to join me in re-listening to this podcast just because there's so much good information here. So I guess I want to end today with one concept. As we were talking about Sarah's faith journey, she used the phrase, I'm becoming a Christ follower. Even now, more than 40 years after accepting Jesus into her heart, she still says that this is a journey. She hasn't arrived at the conclusion yet. A lot of times I think I'm content to just sit in my comfort zone of God's forgiveness. 
But this really is a journey, isn't it? There are steps to be taken, concepts to be discovered, and opportunities yet to present themselves. I want to be able to say that I, too, am still becoming a Christ follower. The Apostle Paul wrote it this way in Philippians 1.6. He says, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Holy Spirit, please continue to reveal to me the ways I can continue being a Christ follower. Show me where you want to work in my life, Lord. God, make us the people that bring your community to them and embrace others around them. To wrap things up today, I'd like to thank Sarah for the permission to play her song, Rendezvous. That's from her brand new album, What Makes It Through. As always, I encourage you to stop by Sarah's website and buy a copy of the album direct from her store. This is the best way we can support her and her music. But you can also stream the album on your favorite streaming platform, and I sure would encourage you to put this album on repeat and listen to it over and over again. It's such a good album. As always, thanks for joining me for this conversation today. I am grateful that we get to spend this time together each week hearing stories of God's amazing faithfulness. As a regular listener to this podcast, would you mind taking a few minutes and rating it on your favorite podcast app? Reviews and ratings really help spread the word so that other folks can hear about these great conversations. And if you have comments or questions for me, please feel free to drop me a message on any of the social media platforms. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon by searching for at CCMExchange. Or you can always drop me an email on the website, christianmusicarchive.com. I'm really looking forward to our time together next week when I have another great conversation with one of the musicians you'll find on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. So until then, remember this, God loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you. <laughs>